Ask the GMs, episode 29, RuneQuest Introduction. Good evening, this is Zach from Ask the GMs Podcast. Welcome to another great evening talking about board games and RPGs. Handing myself off to RC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm RC. Um, do a quick shout out to Cape Fear Games and just all the local game stores, but in particular for us, Cape Fear Games. Um, they've been really great hosts. We really enjoy having them around. Really great staff. Uh, passing it off to Brian. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian. Excited to talk about RuneQuest. Um, it's pretty expansive, so we'll keep it easy tonight. And um, hand it off to Sean. Yeah. Going to go through a little bit of history, a little bit of product, some core ideas on it, and, and get everybody kind of familiar with it. And pass it back to Zach. Thank you. Uh, Brian and Sean were nice enough to curate this episode, so I'm just going to be mainly guiding the conversation. RC and I will butt in every once in a while because we might have an opinion or two. But Sean, do you want to cover the brief history of the concept and the game that is RuneQuest? RuneQuest is an RPG that was created by Greg Stafford. Chaosium. Um, it extended out of um, in the board games White Bear, Red Moon that came out in 1975 and later renamed Dragon Pass. And the RPG itself came out in 1978. Now, Greg had been writing to this world of Glorantha, which is what the RuneQuest world is set in, and since the um, late 60s is part of a um, kind of a thought practice, an idea thing of writing for a fantasy world and such like that. And he also incorporated a lot of his own spiritual beliefs into it. And so, and then that gave birth eventually also to the war games and to the RPG that we have today. And which edition of RuneQuest are we in now? We are currently in the fourth edition. Yep. Um, first edition, I think, only lasted for about a year. 78. I think 79 or 80 is when the second edition came out. And then the third edition, or the Avalon Hill edition, which is when Chaosium licensed RuneQuest to be made by Avalon Hill, uh, that one came out in 1984. And then Mongoose's edition came out in 2006. RuneQuest 2, second version of the Mongoose edition, came out in 2010. And then the current edition is 2018. And wasn't there also a HeroQuest RPG? Not not related to the other brand of Hero Quest. Just throwing it out there. There was. Um, I am not personally as familiar with that. Um, I think that came out in around two thousand three. Or I'm sorry, Hero Wars came out in two thousand. Two thousand three is Hero Quest. Two thousand nine was Hero Quest Second Edition. And then 2015 was Hero Quest Glorantha. And then 2020 Quest Worlds, the SRD, was released. Very good. I just know there was a weird like mixing of those two in the 2000s. And, yeah, it was Hero Quest is definitely a, a narrative RPG versus a traditional RPG where your character creation is based on things like core ideas or character, you know, keywords type things and such. And do you want to give us an overview on the current product line if you were one to get into RuneQuest right now? Sure, I'd love to. Um, if you want to get it into RuneQuest right now, uh, you can, uh, the easiest way to get into it would probably be with the starter set. Um, which is currently $29.99 American. Uh, that has uh, four soft cover manuals that 
basically cover the rule setting and scenario. They give you three scenarios, um, dice that you need to play the game, a set of pre-made characters, um, and they also give you like a strike rating tracker because later, whenever there's combat, uh, you need that. It's important. Um, <clears throat> so that's just the starter set. But now, Brian, I don't want to interrupt you too much. Yeah. They give you a crap ton of characters. They don't give you like four. There are like 10 or 12 in there. I haven't looked at the pre-made characters. I didn't realize there was that many. That's pretty cool. Though. They give you a, no, it's like 10 or 12. That's a lot. Yeah, there's there's quite a few of them. And also the characters are not just like a little like, you know, three by five index card of information. It's a full portfolio of you know, two pamphlet folded edges in the center character sheet, front and back. I mean, fully colored, like yep. colored well too, not just like a little bit of white and then a blue blue splotch there. And you get a backstory for each character along with it too, so you have some more context for them. So, I mean, it's definitely the starter set, kind of as far as the kind of quality level. Well, definitely, I think if I were designing the starter set, I think they were kind of bold and like, no, let's just provide a lot of characters because they didn't want to intimidate someone with the character creation, which we'll get through later in the episode. All right, so you get your starter pack. Um, after you have your starter pack, you're like, wow, Lorenz is pretty dope. I want to spend a lot of time here. Um, I think the next logical transition would be to um, move to the slip case set. Um, which is the basically the complete RuneQuest experience, um, all hardcover books, um, and that'll run you about uh, one hundred and twenty dollars American. You're getting you're getting quite a bit in that, right? So the first major thing that you get in the in that set is going to be just the role playing in Glorantha, which is the essential rules tells you how to play the game. Tells you how to create characters, um, you know, rune magic, spirit magic, um, blades combat, anything you need to play the game, right? Um, but you also get the uh, bestiary, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it provides a lot of um, fantasy entities, um, and that information is great to like put into adventures. So that's on its own, the bestiary is uh, $39.99, so that's not too bad. Um, then you also get the Game Master Screen Pack, which is usually $29.99 on its own. Um, and that's more than just, like, you know, a play aid or, you know, setting up your little boundary there. Um, it does contain the Game Master screen itself uh, does contain, like, a large landscape. Um, four panels, it's a cardboard screen. You do get a 128-page adventure book detailing um, the Kingdom of Sartar, which is a pretty pivotal location in Glorantha. And um, you also get three adventures designed for beginning characters, which is cool. It'll help out. Um, you also get a 20-page reference booklet that's full of fun things like charts, and references to make play easy. You get a 16-page Gloranthian, Gloranthian calendar, excuse me, and then an additional seven ready-to-play pre-generated characters. On and it says deluxe adventure sheets, which is pretty dope. Um, now, Brian, one cool thing about the bestiary, the big monster book, in addition to having things to poke and prod it also gives you the rules if you want to play some of the monstrous races like if you want to be an elf or a troll yes and it also describes the Talmori which are essentially human werewolves yep also the screen itself very beautiful it's very privately colored like a lot of screens if you look on the inside are like taupe or like paper in a negative way this one is very very clean, very crisp, very beautiful to look at. Very nice in the eyes. And the artwork on the exterior side facing the player is is also 
very well done in the sense that it captures kind of the spirit and feel of the game and the game world. So it helps the players kind of get into the mindset as well. Yes, uh, it should go without saying that the artwork in every single piece of RuneQuest I've looked at, like all the books I've looked over, the art is just great in all of them. I think we should also preface, not to be prudes, but the fact that it's set in kind of a, Bo- a Babylonian era, um, you might need to be an adult if you get these books. There might be, you know, topless women and you might have to, you know, be an adult. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it comes down to that, you know, RuneQuest is never was intended as like a child's game. You know, it was always aimed towards a mature audience. And that doesn't mean that you can't have people that are minors playing it and such. But that, as you said, the parents need to be aware of what they're purchasing for their child. And to be fair, while there are topless women, it is tastefully done and reflective of people in Babylonian culture. So you're going to see it in mosaics or paintings. Or just that person walking around in that culture would be topless. It is not a nudie magazine. Right. There's no sexualization of any of the nudes. And I, if I'm not mistaken, there's even some um, partial nude male scenes also. So it's not just a strictly female nudes and such like that. Yeah, the new, the, the new myth book got very close to full male nudity. And again, it's done respectfully. It's done in a mature manner, a non-sexualized manner. It's done in the same way you would go to say the Smithsonian and look at, you know, uh, um, Minoan or Miocene, you know, frescoes and such like that that portray like the women and men jumping over the bulls and such like that. And yes, you can see, you know, people are topless, people are bottomless kind of thing. But it is not sitting there like, you know, like a cheap porn mag or anything like that. Or it's also like going to like a nicer theater or opera where you might see naked women as part of the buttresses and like the theater seats. But that's just part of the architecture. That's not like, ooh. Right. And also, I mean, even, you know, going to the theater and sometimes even on Broadway shows, they have nudity in the shows and such like that. Again, it is not uh, a cheap kind of, you know, risque, a burlesque type demonstration. It is a mature, tastefully done, and respectfully done presentation. Um, I think you need to be extremely mature to be at a burlesque show, but well, that, well that's a different topic, different night. Yep. <laughs> that's when we cover Berlin. <laughs> Brian and the yes. and the Brian and the great LARPing adventure at the Burlesque House. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. god! <laughs> That's your next character, Brian. You do not want me to play that character in public. <laughs> I mean, I I kind of do, but I also like Chaos as much as RC. I can just see, you know, it's kind of like me at Christmas when my family pays me not to sing Christmas songs. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to ask me to stop singing on Tuesday, but... <laughs> Never gonna happen. Okay, that's fine. Anywho, um, yeah, let's get back to RuneQuest. Um, get back on the rail. So that, that pretty much covers everything that was in the slipcase, uh, burlesque and all. Um, so... Then there is a decent amount of supplement books, and these are things that help gameplay immensely. Um, and you know, if this is going to be your bread and butter that you just want to be an expert on Loranthian mythology and playing this, this is what you need. This is like the kitten caboodle, uh, for especially, um religions uh there's multiple cults of runequest um series there's one that is just called the cult of runequest it just came out um that one 
will run you $39.99. And it provides a, a great understanding of just the rich and textured, like, mythological world of Glorantha. Um, it shows, you know, dozens of myths and all the pantheon, basically. It's it's great. Uh, and that's a pretty... It's it's moving t- down, you know, more into the weeds, as you say. So you, you definitely learn more just history and context of, of what's happening in just the original text. Um, then we have the the Prospatia, uh, which is thirty nine thirty seven ninety nine, and that is you know another reference for many gods and goddesses. But you also yes, get monster. that 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 one's closer to like an actual reference book. Like it's not bad, but it's definitely like who is this god? Here's like, like a a one panel article on them. Yeah, yeah, that you're right. You are correct about that. But I mean, yeah, that's you're right. What would you say the culture rune quest is then? Like, would you say that's just like the mythology behind everything? So the big myth book you talked about earlier is just like the overarching myth. The prosopedia is basically like, hey, do you need to quickly reference or look for something? And then the split color books are very focused. Like if you have the Lightbringers, it's all the Lightbringer gods, which is a majority of the gods that most people tend to worship when they make their first characters. And then there's the Earth God book, which is like another big section that people focus on. Yeah. So red, red magic also, which yeah, I'm the sure whole there empire. Well, the red magic also just has all the spells in it. Yeah, and then there is um, the weapons and equipment book as well, which obviously does what it says it does. Um, there are a few things that I thought were funny in there while I was looking over it. One of the things that I enjoyed was um, it gives you like a breakdown of exotic war beasts. Uh, so, for example, dragon newts can ride demi birds, and a a petra petronanodon. Which is like a giant dinosaur, I assume, um, and and triceratops and unicorns. Oh, I'm sorry, unicorn riders ride unicorns. It also has a cool breakdown of like different metals and their worth, and this is really important in the Bronze Age and hiring. It's actually like it's more than just stuff book. Yeah, and it also brings in things like the rules on ships and naval warfare and such like that, and and. It um, the uh, equipment book also uh, with like the beasts and such like that, because also beasts have their own mythology and histories as well. So it further expands on that knowledge base. They said you get yep, and each culture kind of has their own weapons, so it kind of breaks it down by that, and they're like how expensive they are. It's definitely a very useful book in terms of once again getting more in an era as setting in the Babylonian structure. Like you're not going to see a lot of iron. No, you might see a little bit, but it has the most important tenet in RuneQuest, and I'm saying that very seriously. Um, it has the rules for land ownership because you know you can roleplay owning land. I'm mistaken. It's kind of a critical part of the game. It can be. <laughs> Not to jump ahead subject wise, but with the RuneQuest RPG setting, it is not a game of just kill things and take their stuff. Yeah. And it is not also just a sit around and talk with playing game, also. There is dice involved, and there are a lot of, like you said, core concepts like land ownership. Also, the art of ransom. You know, in this game, it is completely acceptable if you're being overpowered by an enemy to throw up your hands and say, Hey, <laughs> I give up and I've got a ransom. Um, you know, you need to contact these people and such. And it's a standard practice in the cultures of the world. Well, Sean, let's let uh, Brian finish up his product line overview. But if you want to go into a brief primer on the setting before we get to core mechanics. That would also be good. Um, yeah, it's okay. I'm I'm close to being done. Uh, so 
we've got the books about the gods. We have equipment. We've got um, just some general supplement books there. Uh, magic, that was it. Uh, there is a... There's, there's two... Um, like adventure books and that's the Pegasus Plateau and other stories, uh, which is seven complete adventures, like ready to play. Um, I'm not going to go through each one of them, but there are seven of them and they're all, there is also over 500 spells for both rude and spirit magic in there. So it's just additional fun stuff that you get to do. Um, and then the other, uh, storybook is the Smoking Ruin and Other Stories, which has a total of six adventures. Um, and that's that's through like the Southern Wilds of Glorantha. Um, so it's a little bit different than anything that we've really looked at, but still, it's just like another tool that you can use to uh, you know build an adventure or you know really really beat a character to death as far as like age-wise because time is something that happens in this game very good so we we've talked about like where it comes from and what you can get for it but sean tell us about what is galanthra what is rune quest what is rune questing rune questing is the the core of all magic in the world of glorantha is tied to the rune and the gods that are associated with those runes. And you can have more than one god associated with a rune. And there are combinations of the runes that define also the gods. And the magic system is about the learning of and mastering of the runes. Such as you go on quests and such like that. The game has several different spiritual developments for characters in the sense of you can pursue the path of a shaman, you can pursue the path of either a rune lord or a rune priest, priest which rune lords are more of the fighting type category, rune priests are more of obviously the religious and organized religion aspect of it. And and it is essentially this, like, since time primordial fight and quests and such like that and development of this whole world. I mean, you can go for hours just talking about the whole mythological history and such like that at, of RuneQuest. But the essential aspect is the rune. Yeah, and it's a big deal because like the runes do make everything, not even the, just the gods, but everything. Humans are the combination of the air rune and the man rune, versus trolls are the man rune and the dark rune. Exactly. The, everything is tied to the runes. And, I mean, right down to the almost kind of common everyday magic, because everybody, again, that is another core concept, is everybody uses magic in Glorian. What type of magic you use may differ, but everybody uses magic, especially spirit magic, which is um, smaller spells like blade sharps or um, multi-missile or farsee or whatever. That the kind of magic that if we were in a different setting would be like hedge magic versus an actual wizard. Correct. Cantrips kind of thing. And but it, everything is again skill tied to runes because you like if you know the spell blade sharp, you can't just per se cast it on your sword because of what this spell essentially does is improves your chance to hit with the sword and your damage with the sword. But you have to prep the weapon by inscribing on the weapon somewhere the runes associated with that spirit magic. And so they, um, I mean, but still, again, it is though something everybody knows. It's, you know, everybody knows some little magic. You know, a merchant may know, you know, detect gold, you know, so he can cast it on coins that are being handed to him and such like that, or detect, you know, 
Neptune, this or that, there are a lot of detection spells from everything from detect water to detect almost every mineral known and such like that. I think there's a couple on lying too, which a merchant might also want. Exactly. And again, the game has so many different aspects that no matter what your interests as far as character development goes, in the mythological background of the world and everything of that, you can create any character you want. Whether it is the wizard, the priest, the noble, the merchant, the thief, the even the bard-like characters and such like that. There are mythological backgrounds and such like that that, you know, will push those character archetypes kind of, of forward and, and can be fully developed with the feeling that you're not just, you know, some generic character pasted on over a character sheet in the world. You know, there's an investment as far as the gods, the runes, the magic that you use. And well, I think everybody would love to know, you know, as far as the runes are concerned, you know, what what do they represent? Um, and they're effectively cosmic archetypes of elements at the base. So you have fire and sky, you have water, air, earth, darkness, and then um, those are the those are the big ones. And of course, as Sean said, and yes, moon. Well, moon, moon's questionable though, right? It's, it depends on what culture you're coming from, too. And, and spirit is the other one, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting because like moon is the shady one versus darkness is fine. And also the other runes, well, those are the basic element runes, and the other runes often are the condition, whether it's stability, mobility, you know. Life, death, man, beast, chaos, and wall. Man, death. Man and beast, yeah. yeah. Uh Undeath on life, that is one. It's not usually you're not gonna have a character that has it, but it does exist. And things that are in Rune Quests that are evil. Um I mean this is not to say Rune Quest is a world of um diametrically opposed white versus black, good versus evil kind of thing. There are various shades of gray. But when something really, truly steps into the realm of evil, it is, it is evil. It is turn your stomach evil. And they don't beat around the bush on that. You know, they, they, you know, present it as it is, you know. Like a giant bat eating my grandfather's soul. Him? Or the brew, you know, the goat men and their people kind of thing. They're pretty horrific. So we kind of got the base overview of the concept. You know, we've mentioned it's Babylonian. It has a big mythological field. Like, this is definitely the world of myth. You can't, you could play without the myth, but you're kind of missing like 90% of the setting. But let's get into those core mechanics. Let's get into past the basic BRP and percentiles, but into the heavier stuff. Well, as you said, just a real quick rundown. It is basically a BRP system. 3D6, you know, you have your basic abilities, strength, con, size, power, intelligence, and uh, dexterity and charisma and such. But yeah, as far as the character creation goes beyond that aspect, okay, that's where the game can get pretty heavy pretty quick for somebody that isn't familiar with uh, Lorantha. Right. Because after after runes, which is, you know, very basic, you know, kind of the one of the next things that you need to be aware of is your cult. Because um, you're in a cult, or you're about to be in a cult, and that's it's not like a negative connotation like a lot of people might think of, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, uh, Russell Simmons and his cult, or whoever it was. Um, you know, this is just a community. It's you know, basically your family. Um, it gives you access to, you know, the cult's camaraderie and, and family, but it also, you're also basically worshipping the same gods. So you're going to 
have access to, you know, a fraction of that deity's power manifested from the runes, the rune magic through them. So it's it's all very connected, and that's something that is unique to RuneQuest in the game mechanics is your cult, because it determines who you're worshipping and who, who you're, what runes you have. And also, the use of the term cults, I mean, in a RuneQuest standard, things like the uh, worship of Zeus, or to use some popular, well-known deities in our in our world, kind of things, Zeus, Apollo, and such like that, the followers of those deities, those would have been called cults. So that's the kind of level that we're talking about is not just like as you said, you know, a brainwashing bad entity as the term is used often today. And but beyond that also your family history determines who your character really is as well. In the sense of there are depending on the culture that you decide to choose to originate your character in and whether it's Sartar, whether it's uh, Praxian, and such like that, and is, you know, there are charts that you're going to roll to determine, you know, what happened to your grandparents, what happened to your parents, you know, what experiences did they have, did they talk about, uh, and were you taught about them, and such, so that you uh, then you know, that all plays into the character creation. It affects skills that you have. It affects um, things like passions and such like that in the characters. There is in such like, you know, honor, loyalty, cowardice, as, you know, fear, hatred, and, and such are all often determined in there. There is, just so that it's put out there, there is a shortcut system that they have in there. So if you're trying to make a character quickly, you don't have to sit there and roll on all the charts and everything like that. They give you some basic formulas of points to put here and there and such like that. But really, part of the fun of creating a character in RuneQuest is to go through the whole background and see your character and their family sort of develop in front of you. Yeah, I think an important part of that life path system is like, no, you have, you start with both sets of grandparents, then go into parents, and then go into you. And you can see, like, if you have hatreds, if you have loves, which gods you might want to focus on based on what your parents did, whether your family was farmers, whether they were merchants, wait, maybe they were warriors. Or even, you know, brigands and philosophers and poets and stuff. You know, there's a there's a lot of choices that can be made in the game. And that's part of the fun of it, is that you're not just making a fighter, a cleric, a magic user. You know, you're making, you know, so-and-so of the cult of Esserolia, of the Earth Goddess, you know, kind of thing. and You know, even your viewpoint on politics and such like that, is going to be kind of your character's viewpoint is kind of not like dictated but it is suggested that you know these are the views of the culture the cults the background that your character came from and such and so as a role player you kind of can develop a a feel for the character really you're invested in the character i think I'm I'm gonna attempt to try and sum up everything you said, Sean. Um, so there are no character classments or alignments. Characters are defined by their culture, the gods they follow, and the runes that inspire them. Helps um, to role play, right? For I was gonna example, jump in. Oh yeah, go on, RC. I was gonna jump in and say real quick because Sean did briefly touch on it, but there and I believe Zach did too where you roll on the fam the familial chart and you can end up with hatreds and the game actually rewards you for playing into those um 
it's hatreds and passions like you're like you're you it's like you're supposed to kind of go that way because of what happened in your character's past or if you come if you come from a from a group of people that sort of values honor or even treachery in the cases depending on which which end of the spectrum you're on like actually playing into it rewards you and it makes it easier for your character to sort of move through life as it is with like outside of just plain old adventuring. I, I think it's going to be a lot less, you know, the Catholic priest murdering somebody in a church with, uh, you know, the way that your character is set up. Not you're you're not going to do that. <laughs> Inglorantha. Well, the passions, though, are not just hatreds and such like that. It can also be love of your family, a loyalty to your king or queen or your, you know, city that you came from, you know. So, I mean, it is positive influences as well as negative influences. And a lot of this also originally wasn't in the RPG. They found when they, when Chaosium developed originally the Pendragon RPG is where they brought in the idea of passions and such like that and vices and such. and it, it they found that it added such a depth of role playing to have kind of a measurement of where you were on those things that they brought it into RuneQuest as well because it works so well within the setting and, and such. And again, RuneQuest is, in my opinion, and I'm biased on this, is so of much of a kind of demonstration of the quality of rpg material produced by chaosium and you know that and it's not just one-sided it's not just like oh they really produce RuneQuest stuff really well chaosium has shown repeatedly the ability to handle you know in all its games different time periods different cultures different you know and mature subjects in a tasteful way and such like that and if you're familiar with any of their other products, you're going to be happy with RuneQuest. Uh, whether you're a Pendragon fan from back in the day, whether you're a Call of Cthulhu fan, or maybe you played some of the other older titles that they no longer have the licenses to, such as Stormbringer, ElfQuest, uh, or Ringworld, and such like that. Coming forward, you're going to find, and I speak from experience in that realm, this game really has it and it combines some of the best elements out there from all of those games thank you sean uh, i have a couple small topics that i'm going to say for the end but do you want to cover some of the core mechanisms just like how combat is a little different being a, a definite example combat is definitely different um again it's it's different but also familiar here if you're familiar with Call of Cthulhu, say, you're familiar with the percentage-based role to hit or parry in combat kind of thing. And you do have, you know, you have that exchange of, like, attack, parry, attack, parry, and such like that. And that it is familiar in the sense of Call of Cthulhu is similar, but not identical. It also, though, elaborates on the combat system with the hit location system. So you have hit points per location. So combat can get very deadly very quick. You can lose the use of an arm or an arm entirely, per se. And it also bases itself on a... Um, you have a critical success, a special success, and a standard success. Standard success is rolling under your percentage. It's, um special success is rolling under 20%. And then a critical success is rolling one-fifth of your percentile chance. And there's also the strength right chart. Strength rank chart. And also you have, as I said, you, you have hit location, you have armor for location, plus also your weapons have hit points. Too. So let's say you make a successful parry, but the person had a critical success, as their weapon is now doing damage to your weapon or to your shield, 
and such like that. And you can have your weapons break, shield be destroyed, pain, or even if they hit well enough and with enough power, they can literally smash through your weapon, your shield, and then inflict skill damage on you, even though you rolled a parry. You've done is you've reduced it, but you haven't been able to stop it. You know, if they really roll successfully. And that, I think, has to be stressed again. Is that combat is extremely deadly in the game. You just don't go wandering in and pick a fight with a bunch of, you know, as, you know, as a warrior, you're not going to wander into a group of trolls and be like, hey, I'm going to take out this group of trolls by myself. Kind of like the D&D mindset has. Well, that's also why I think the strength right is so important because of your size and speed kind of like, Hey, I'm a really big guy and I'm fast. Okay. I'm going to attack before someone else even gets a chance to. That also brings up the system doesn't use a traditional initiative system. It uses the strike rank system and your strike rank is determined by your size, your dexterity, and also by the type of weapon you're using. And such, and also it can be influenced by your encumbrance level too. So if you're carrying too much stuff, you're slowed down. Such, but you know, certain weapons are going to be faster than others. But certain weapons also have a reach effect too. Like a spear, there has a reach effect, so it can actually attack ahead of somebody, say, wielding a dagger, which is technically a faster weapon, and but with the reach effect. And your strike rank number determines in what order you attack in combat. But it takes all those factors into play to determine it. And it's a little, as you know, Brian said in the starter set, they have the strike rank tracker thing because combat can be a little bit um, flunky. imposing, flunky and imposing, and a little daunting to look at. Yeah, I think it's clunky because I'm not familiar with it, and that's why it feels clunky to me. But I'm sure once clunky to look at or intimidating, that was actually going to be my next follow up. RC and Brian, before you've made characters, how intimidated did you feel about the system? Before I I'll made characters, <laughs> before you made your character, um, well, before I made my character, I was in bliss because I was ignorant. Um, and, um, I felt like I knew that there was a lot of stuff, but then when we rolled the characters, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. And, um, the, it, uh, it got, I think after I rolled my character, I was more intimidated. I was excited, but I was like, there's a lot here. Uh, because it's a lot of content, a lot of lore. I mean, the character page is four, the character sheet is four pages and that's the largest character sheet I've ever had, personally. And I think that's the smallest version of the character sheet is the four-page version. I think there may be either a six- or an eight-page version that elaborates out you know, and such more. But It's fantastic. The- Don't get me wrong. It's great. But it's... Uh, it is a little daunting. Yeah. And RC? Um, well... <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I think I've made three characters now. And on the first two, I essentially made the same character twice in different ways. And I was way more daunted by it then. Um, but the time that I got around to making, I can't remember if I made three or four now. I, I have a better feel for what's going on with it. Um. Uh, honestly, the most intimidating thing to me, because I still really haven't had a chance to get too much into it, is the different kinds of cults. Um, as it relates to where you like your character is from or where they currently live. Um, it, there's a lot of background to the game. That's that's the part that's the most intimidating to me, just because it feels like I didn't read enough into it beforehand. Yeah, I recommend, since I just got that mythology book, give that thing a, like a, a good foot through. It, it explains a lot. Uh, when I made my first character, I I was intimidated. I'm not going to lie about that. But I also liked how like nested the mechanics were in, to get in together with themselves. 
like, oh, I picked this primary rune. It's what my god's about, and he's super about it. Then later in character creation, that's your primary rune. You get a couple bonuses here and there. It's like that makes sense because the rune is like super connected to my character. Yeah. I mean, it seems daunting, and I think after the first one, I I I feel better about doing it now. Like I feel better doing the grandparents and the parents, even though you know, um, you know, ninety percent of my grandparents and parents, I feel like, have ceased to exist when I wrote characters. Died horribly. Yeah. Yeah. And roll, roll on the random death chart. How many and, how many characters do we get that were raised by their aunts and uncles? Which is, you know, in a sense of like historical accuracy in the real world is an actual thing that you read about, you know. Is so and so plague came through and <laughs> you know, so the the prince was raised by his uncle that ruled as a regent, you know, until um he came of age to be able to take the throne kind of thing. But as far as the other core mechanics also, combat and things like that, even though while daunting and very detail-oriented, they have a definite flow and logic to them. And that's one thing also I think needs to be said, and I think you guys might agree with, is that things happen in character creation and combat in the system but there's a logic to why it happens it's not just arbitrary and random like oh my gosh why do you have to roll this you know there's like okay you do this and then you do this and there's steps and once you're familiar with the steps and everything everything kind of has a flow and an elegance and to it that you know you can't quite get a feel for until you kind of get in and get yourself dirty. There's also that. There's also the contextualization like of how your god like changes your character massively. It's just like, no, 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 your character has these following tenets and they gotta follow them, otherwise your god is pissed. Hey. You know how magic's important? What if it got taken away from you? Oh boy. But also, like, depending on what god you pick, not only does it like change what spells you get, depending on your god, you might be the only like cult that gets that spell. Uh, not to mention, when you die and Daka Falls about to read your uh, your rights, he asks if anybody wants to stand up for you, and if you shunned your god, <laughs> sorry, bud. Well, also too, as I've seen said before in other discussions. Groups and such like that about RuneQuest is, you know, magic and the gods and the runes is so integrated into everything in RuneQuest that the rarest of all characters would be an atheist in this world because they would have to literally deny the the existence of the world around them. Especially when they can see like gods actually influencing things, it might not be super direct depending on the location, but like depending on where you go, you might actually run into an actual god. Dumb bat thing. The god travels across the sky every single day before getting dragged into the underworld, and that's why we have night. Yeah, the mythology is real in Rune Quest. It's that's why these runes are so important. Is like. And this is going more. This is we're attempting to do a five thousand level view of this, um, because it, you know, once you get deeper and you like you learn more about the actual gods and, and god time and all this stuff, you you have a better context as to why things are the way they are now. Do we have anything on closing on our intro episode into RuneQuest? I guess my closing would be. Regardless of your familiarity with role-playing in general, if you are motivated by an interest in the setting and in, in the style of play in RuneQuest, it is well worth the investment of time and energy to learn, to participate in, and such like that. It is not a game that, you know, once you get in it, 
you can learn it becomes easier and easier to learn don't let it intimidate you away from it because it is a rich and rewarding system yeah um i would say the same i would also say that it's been around since the 60s with uh white moon is it red moon white moon i always confuse those two um it's a uh, white bear red moon yeah but it it's been around since the 60s. So it's like you're talking about a game in a game world that's been around since before Star Wars and people still talk about it and playing it. It's probably worth at least checking out. And if you find you don't like it, that's fine. But like it, it does have the wherewithal to last that long, at least. It's lasted longer than most nations. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it definitely is like a really interesting system and if if you want something that is going to give you a setting it gives you a world to work with right off the bat and if you actually take the time to like learn and fall in love with it it it'd be well worth your time it pays dividends yeah like i already like it and i i, I have a feeling that this little group at least here is definitely like yeah, I'm willing to jump into this at first. If we're really going to do this, it, it's going to be something we'll be on for a while. Well, you're also talking to two people in this room that have almost the entire product line. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what um, you're talking about. <laughs> liar. I, uh, I will say I'm very gracious, and thank you for uh, sharing information with me, because I feel like every time I start reading anything, any of the books... I just get caught up reading, like, you know, I'll lose like four hours and be like, oh man, I just, you know, I have all this random information now. It's great. And the thing is, you can spend four hours reading and be like, okay, I now know everything about Daka Fall, but I still don't know much about any of the other gods. <laughs> There's that much depth to the material that you can spend four hours and still walk away like, yeah, I need to spend more time reading. <laughs> well, I want to thank all our listeners for joining us. Next week's episode is going to be us covering Delta Green again, but we're going to follow up with RuneQuest on a deeper look into lore, god time, post-god time, and the runes themselves. And we'll have a future follow-up with Lindsay making a character in RuneQuest. That way all our listeners can get a full exposure to the system and concept. Sounds good. Yay! I want to thank all our listeners for joining us and have a good night.